Stay tuned with us. Life happens with Pinelo Modine. So we kick off the show with Roshana Gray. Roshana is from Felt and Sea. They have a coastal foraging webinar coming up, okay? And then I kept thinking to myself, okay, foraging, foraging. Okay, does it mean that you would be going out at sea and kind of like, you know, wandering about and picking up what would be useful, what would not be useful? And then the next question is, but how do you know what is useful and what is not useful? So this is where she comes in. Roshana, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Such a pleasure to be on your show. So tell me what is Felton Sea? Felton Sea is an experiential nature-inspired business Mm -hmm. where we track the edible landscape through the season and um, we offer educational and immersive nature-inspired experiences, workshops and events. Okay. And and so when when we go and explore because you're saying it's experimental, um are experiential. You, oh, it's experiential. <laughs> <laughs> I've done the I, experimenting for everyone. I get it. I get it. Is is it is it always the case that um particularly if I'm in the the northern part of the country as opposed to the south, right? Yes. Is 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 it that all plants react the same way in different uh, regions? Um, no, they will definitely react in different ways, but an edible species is an edible species. Always. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's start with the, the, the species that's always fascinated me, mushrooms, and, and being able to identify which ones are edible and which ones are not, for instance, just by, by way of, of example. So mushrooms are the most difficult. Mm. There are so many different poisonous mushrooms. Mm. Um, so on the workshops that we, we, we teach when we go out on these mushroom foraging forays, mm-hmm. we focus specifically on the ones that you can eat. Otherwise, okay. it can get very confusing. Yeah. And, and so part of this, this whole um, process is to teach us how to identify what is possible and what is not possible, what's edible, what is not edible. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and would you be able to describe for us what to, one would be able to look at when you're looking at mushrooms, for instance, and then we can look into other plants? Um, <laughs> there's lots of there's lots of um, interesting things to look at. I mean, if you look underneath the mushroom, mm-hmm. it either has gills, mm-hmm. like your usual yes. Benny mushroom, yes, or it is spongy, yes. Um, and so that's that's the main defining feature between two different kinds. Mm-hmm. Here in the Western Cape, we've got a lovely rule um, that only applies here. Mm-hmm. If a mushroom has a sponge underneath it, it's edible. And that's what I was saying, you see. So you're saying that it only applies in 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 the Eastern Cape, you said, in the Western Cape only. In the Western Cape, yes, that's and, with mushrooms. And, and that's it. So, for instance, specifically to that, what's the story, let's say, if you're in Gauteng region? It could be different. Yeah. <laughs> so so to the point earlier, it, it doesn't always follow that plants that are edible in specific regions are always the case in another region? The mushrooms are the kind of... Is it an exception to the rule? rule? Yeah. yeah. All right. So if you look at um, seaweeds, for example, mm-hmm. it's much easier uh, to start with seaweeds because there's only one seaweed that is not edible. Mm-hmm. Out of all the 800 different species that we get around our South African coastline, mm-hmm. And, and, and how would we identify that? 
the one the one that the we one cannot eat. eat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's called acid weed. It mm-hmm. looks like a part of the cult family. Mm-hmm. Um, but the good news is that it doesn't grow up the east coast, and it doesn't grow in the intertidal zone. It grows in the subtidal zone. So, if you are coastal foraging in the rock pools, then you are most likely not going to find it. Mm-hmm. You might find it floating around if there's been a big swell or a big storm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the foraging rules as well, not to collect anything that's floating around, mm. only what is attached. Mm. Let's talk about your interest in, in this uh, wildlife foraging um, business that you've started. Where did the interest come from? Um, well, I've always been a very curious foodie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I moved out to Cape Point uh, just over 15 years ago now. Mm. And just with safe access to wild open spaces, I started um, exploring um, all of these amazing wild flavors mm-hmm. very slowly, one plant at a time, yes. and started using it in things like uh, tea mm. and then in baked goods. And the more I learned, the more experimental I got. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it went from learning about edible weeds to local indigenous edible plants edible flowers and edible seaweeds. Mm. And and talk to me about some of the things that you've discovered, some of the edible um, plants that you've discovered, uh, whether it's uh, flowers or, you know, as you said, edible weeds. Tell tell me about some of the most interesting ones you've come across. Oh, this, I mean, when when people ask me what my favorite is, it's very hard to choose. It all depends <laughs> on the season. Yes. Um, at the moment in the Western Cape, we're coming into our rainy season. And that means um, a lot of edible weeds are going to be popping up after the first autumn rains. And so you get a lot of nutrient-dense, very overlooked um, common or garden weeds. I like to call them cosmopolitan plants because mm-hmm. <laughs> they occur all over the place. Mm-hmm. They can also be called a people's plant because mm-hmm. they like to kind of grow where people um, You'll find them in your back garden in abandoned parking lots. Growing out of a, a crack of a abandoned parking lot. Yes. Wow. All strange, strange and interesting places. <laughs> um, and these are uh, plants like nettles um, and dandelions, and oh, there's there's a, a host of edible weeds. Roshana, I'm going to ask that we maybe um, take a look at your line. It, it keeps breaking up a little bit. Um, let's just take a quick break in the meantime, and then I'll be back with, and I see many of the people sending WhatsApps. We'll, we'll go straight there when we come back. Business Talk One across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. Yeah, uh, afternoon, my sister. <clears throat> Ish, uh, I do want to pose a, a question. Uh, under my mushroom uh, if I heard uh, my sister correctly did she say if a mushroom has a sponge underneath is eatable thank you Alright, um, Roshana Gray is a wild food innovator and founder of a company called Felt and Sea and they really go out and do experimental, experiential wild um, wild flavor um, foraging whether it is plants flowers and all sorts of things weeds and so on and we were talking before the headlines, before the, the ad break, we were talking about mushrooms and she was saying that you know for mushrooms specifically, 
different things would apply in different regions. And Roshana, let's just go back. We were speaking about um, your guideline with regards to picking mushrooms in the Western Cape specifically. Yes. Okay. So I'd just like to point out that mushroom foraging is very tricky. Yeah. And it's not something that you can um, Google. Um, you really do need to have a person to help you uh, to identify. And I would recommend cross-referencing with as many different sources as you can, whether it's from, um, if you post on, um, I, I believe there's a Facebook page, um, you can post your mushroom foraging um, pictures to help um, have many different people try and ID it. Get yourself a um, mushroom foraging book. There's quite a few available. Uh, I know Gary Goldman has done one. Justin Williams has a, an e-book out. Um, there's a lot of um, uh, identification books as well. Um, so, yeah, it's mushroom foraging is very, very... Um, it, it's very it's tricky, tricky. And it can be very dangerous. Deadly. It's deadly. Deadly me. dangerous. Mm. Exactly. Don't munch on a hunch. Mm. I mean, I mean, if anything, there is a lot, and that's to the point of your business. There's a lot out there that you actually can survive on if you had to, uh, without exactly. going to the mushroom um, yes. as, as your last option. Yes. So, so let's talk. We were speaking about seaweed, and and yes. um, you know, just the the amount of seaweed that's available to us. So, let's talk about the nutrients. By the way, let's start there with the nutrients in seaweed. So, yeah, seaweeds are a very overlooked and underutilized source of food and medicine when you look at them in terms of nutrition. Mm -hmm. So, for want of a better word, they are like a superfood. Mm. They are full of vitamins and minerals and micronutrients. Um, they have things in them like iodine, vitamin A through to K, iron and zinc. And all of these are available in a collated and colloidal form. So... They are just ready for our bodies to easily absorb all of the goodness that they offer. Mm -hmm. um, and interesting, every seaweed has its own unique set of nutritional value. Mm. Um, and then seaweeds, of course, are also very rich in omega-3 fatty acids. And so we often think that we need to be eating fish to get these omega fatty acids. But actually, fish can't synthesize these omegas. They get them from the phytoplankton they eat. So if we eat like a fish, we'll be fine. <laughs> Do we know um, our history with eating seaweed? How, how far back it dates? Well, seaweeds, um, they, sure, they go way back. Yeah, yeah, way, ages way back. back, ages <laughs> back. And and there are there are um, people that have been eating as their daily um, as their daily diet for for centuries, as you said. Absolutely, uh, more so, than here, I mean, more than in South Africa. Yes, yeah. I mean seaweeds. These these chlorophyll containing marine algae plants are one of the oldest examples of multicellular life on Earth. Mm -hmm. I mean, going millions of years mm -hmm. back, mm -hmm. and eaten. Um, in the past and now by both ancient and modern humans. Um, if you look all around the globe, there's traditions of eating seaweed. Um, if you look at Hawaii and Ireland and all different places and here in South Africa, absolutely. Mm. And and traditionally, what would it be? It would be sort of foraged and then dried or, or, or cooked or steamed immediately from the sea? 
Lots of different ways, mm-hmm. lots of different ways of using it. Um, are you talking about here specifically or all over the world? No, you know, no, across, across, um, across the world, how, how people are consuming it. Across the world. So, I mean, if you look back to, say, for instance, Vikings, mm-hmm. they would travel in these open boats mm-hmm. where their food would get quite damaged from mm-hmm. um, the sea mm-hmm. crashing in mm-hmm. with the big waves and everything. But seaweeds would, so it was a, a very um, important food source for them. And they would dry it and store it, and then they would eat it like that. Nowadays, you get so many incredible um, recipes and ways of using it. And kelp, which um, occurs along our um, west coast Mm -hmm. of southern Africa, kelp is an incredible example of this um, magical fifth flavor of umami Mm -hmm. because it has a natural glutamic acid, which is basically um, uh, like an MSG, and we all know what MSG does. Mm. It's the thing in the packet that makes us eat the entire packet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you'll find glutamic acid in things like, um, in, naturally in things like um, ripe tomatoes, walnuts, dried mushrooms. And it's that intense savory flavor. Mm-hmm. So when we use these seaweeds um, in our cooking, it kind of heightens all the other flavors that we're, we're uh, using. Mm-hmm. So uh, it just... Turns everything absolutely delicious. Mm. We've got a call from Siv in Valcom. Hi, Siv. Hello, Pamela. Let me just chat chat on the radio. Okay. Oh, that's very honourable. Yeah. At least um, it's this is Siv in Valcom, Pamela. Oh, Siv, hi. Um, I, I want to talk about these mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm from I'm from a small town outside Ntata called uh, Elliot Day. Uh-huh. Um, there. You, we, like we we had um, two types of mushrooms. Yeah. There is one that grows out of a dung, which is the one that you are not allowed to eat. And if yeah. you eat it, you vomit most yeah. of the times. I've eaten it. Oh. And then there is this one that grows immediately after there is a thunderstorm. Yes. Huh. Like that one is eatable and it's very delicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think that's all I just had to just highlight, ma'am. Okay, that's that's just hold on a, a, a minute, Siva, before you go. Maybe Roshana has a question or two for you, Roshana. Yeah, that's amazing. I just wanted to say thank you for sharing that. The I love the um, the image of the mushrooms growing after the thunderstorm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know they were edible, but I I recognize exactly what he's talking about. That <laughs> there would be the sprout immediately after a thunderstorm of, yeah, of mushrooms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's thank- amazing the way that nature works. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Sylvia, for that. That's a really, really interesting. Um, so, so are you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, thanks a lot, Austin. I'm sure. just a first time caller. Oh, oh, lovely. Thanks. Welcome, Sylvia. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Austin. Uh, is is that? I mean, I don't know. Do you know if it's common, Roshana? I've I've certainly in 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 this region um, yes. of the country. I'm I'm quite familiar with the thunderstorm mush- mushrooms. Yes, yes. I mean, here we um, in the Western Cape. It's mushrooms have to have very specific conditions to be able to fruit mm-hmm. um, and various different people have their own theories um, but it, here it needs to be um, quite wet and then the sun needs to have warmed the earth for a little while and then you'll find these fruiting bodies available for us. 
Roshana Gray is a wild food innovator and founder of Felt and Sea. I'll be taking your calls as soon as we're done with the headlines at 1.30 with Uzi Lissak. No five FM in Peter Maritzburg. Hi, good afternoon, Pamelo, and your guest. I hear your guest is saying that these seaweeds are mainly overlooked, and people are not maybe so sort of taking note. But are they endangered species? Um, are they protected by the government, particularly in the Western Cape? The environmental affairs, etc. Um, are they are they protected? Um, and and if at all, um, how do they get them to the market? Maybe to to the restaurants or to private homes. This is Kaba from the Eastern Cape. Thank you. Good afternoon, Pamelo. It's Bramoro in Bloemfontein in Ghana. We have something that we call a palm tree. When we cut down that palm tree. After it's completely decomposed, you're going to see that it generates a mushroom around it. You understand? It's, um, it, it has a brownish color with a black, mixed with black also. I don't know if that is also ed- uh, editable or edible. And then also, when you cut down even certain trees also, it also does generate mushrooms. I don't know if those are also edible. Thank you. Such an interesting question. Roshana Gray is a founder of Felt and Sea, and she's helping us with foraging the grounds sustainably. And we're going to talk about that exactly. What does that mean to forage sustainably? Roshana, we're stuck on the mushrooms. People want to know about mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the, 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 the mushrooms that um, he's talking about in Ghana? I have an idea, but I would obviously need to see um, photos and to share with uh my my mushroom foraging friends yes. so that we can all decide on what it is. But the, the first question was very interesting and mm. very important. Mm. A very important, um, lots of important things there. Um, so there are one or two um, invasive uh, seaweed species, but none, none of our species, local species, are endangered. Um, not like our very sensitive fangos um, plant kingdom or land plants, but um, there's a lot of uh, sustainability, legal and responsible foraging practices that one needs to remember when you are coastal foraging. Mm-hmm. Um, these sensitive ecosystems in our rock pools and in the intertidal and underwater areas form home and habitat and food for many sea creatures. Mm. Um and so for recreational use, to collect seaweeds and shellfish and a range of other things, you'll need a mollusk permit um, to legally harvest. Mm-hmm. And this is, you can get one um, at your nearest post office. I think it costs about 96 rand and it lasts a year from purchase. Mm-hmm. So it's well worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for for recreational use, Collecting from the intertidal zone, you would uh, the the best way to um, regeneratively forage is to cut the seaweeds very delicately with a pair of scissors, mm-hmm. because if you would pull them up mm-hmm. from their roots or mm-hmm. the little holdfasts, mm-hmm. it's just like uprooting a land plant. Mm-hmm. They're never going to regrow again. Oh, wow. 
and um, never collect from a concentrated area, rather collect a little bit there, a little bit here, so kind of rock hop as you go. Never collect from a polluted source of ocean. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, these spaces and places are getting fewer and fewer. Mm -hmm. Um, The way that seaweeds work is that they have a non-vascular system and everything that will be in the ocean around them will actually be present in the seaweeds themselves. Oh, I see. So whether it's um, sewage or heavy metals or any any form of pollutants that will be in the seaweeds, and it's not something that you can pick up by taste. It's just something that accumulates in your body if you carry on eating it. Um, but then um, in terms of commercial use, so using seaweed for, I don't know, say for your restaurants or for importing that. Foraging from the intertidal zone can be detrimental in terms of overharvesting. So this is where the blue economy could come into play mm-hmm. and something to look at. Uh, marine aquaculture and specifically for, uh, sorry, growing and farming seaweed is the cleanest form of marine aquaculture that there is. And it can contribute greatly to food and job security. So at the global seaweed uh, market, it was valued at about, let's remember my facts, at about $4 million in 2017, and it was projected to reach $9 million by 2024. So Hmm. that's food for thought. Definitely food for thought. So let's talk about macroalgae and microalgae, the differences there. Yes. So... um, Seaweed or sea vegetables, Mm -hmm. which is a nice way to look at it, it kind of changes our perceptions a little bit, Mm -hmm. are macroalgae. And microalgae is phytoplankton, which is a microscopic marine algae, um, and this is what the the fish eat. Oh, that's a simple explanation. Very simple. (laughs) It's not that difficult. (laughs) Roshana, I'm going to ask that we try and get you back again because there's so many other um, plants that I would love us to explore and and their benefits and so on and also to assist us with, I suppose, the sustainability of of just our consumption of food in the world. And so that will be a conversation I'd love to have with you soon, if you don't mind. Thank you so much for making the time. Thank you. Roshana Gray there is a wild food innovator and founder of Felt and Sea. They've got a webinar coming up. Um, that's going to be at uh, p- two, 4 p.m. today. Yeah. So what we'll do is that we'll also just put up the details on um, uh, on our social media platform. So it's not today. It's on Sunday. And all you've got to do is to go to their website, Felt with a V, Felt and c.co.za that's where the details are and they are going to be speaking about foraging